Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis of Post Media, and on the line today from way out in Alberta is uh, Jonathan Willis, a freelance hockey writer for Sportsnet, The Nation Network, Yahoo, and actually formerly uh, Post Media, the, the Cult of Hockey blog uh, out in Edmonton. He is an alum of that. Jonathan, how's it going? Uh, going really well. Uh, happy to be here. Right, on. yeah, you're a busy guy. You have you have a newborn. Um, you know, this is this is a crazy time for for obviously your writing uh, with with all that's going gone on in the last few weeks. Uh, have you caught up on your sleep, or are you still in that sort of zombie stage? <laughs> I I'm, I think zombie captures it it rather well. Um, I, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little guilty actually because I I was really looking forward to expansion and, and this this entire summer and i've ended up i'm not being able to pay as much attention to it as i as i otherwise would have liked but uh, that's life for you sometimes there are there are bigger priorities oh absolutely um and you're a smart guy who i've heard on you know other podcasts the pdo cast is great and, you, and you're a regular guest there dimitri does a fantastic job and i, I like that that you're a reasonable guy I'll, I'll put it that way like you you look at things big picture and you you know you're not you're not there to start arguments for the sake of starting arguments. You just, you're, you're a reasonable guy. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. So I want to talk about reasonable things with you, uh, such as free agency, which, you know what, for the first time in as long as I can remember, uh, was fairly reasonable. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those rare years where just about all the teams that were, were really active did, did well for themselves. Yeah, I, let, let's just go through a couple of winners and losers um, and then at the end of the show, I want to get your take on on the Golden Knights as they stand. Uh, they've gone through obviously uh, the entry draft, the expansion draft, and free agency. Uh, I guess a few things could happen uh, in the next couple of days, but more or less, what they have on their roster today is uh, going to be the the absolute core of their team next season. So we'll get to that in a bit. But um, off the top, who who do you think won free agency or or is a big winner? I think the team that, that came to mind first when I was looking at this was the New York Rangers. I, I thought entering free agency that Kevin Shattenkirk was the best player on the market. Um, I, I don't know how much credit to give to, uh, to to the Rangers management team because obviously Shattenkirk really wanted to play in New York and took a considerable discount both in dollars and in term to make that happen. But uh, the bottom line is they added you know maybe the top free agent at a very reasonable contract and a guy who's going to make a big difference on the right side of their defense, which um, was a position of, of real need for them. So I like what they did, and um, if I if I had to pick just one team, they'd probably be it. Well, and if we backtrack a few days, they 
signed Brendan Smith to a four-year extension, which was seemed pretty savvy as well. Um, Shattenkirk, like you said, takes this this hometown discount. He's from New York. Um, you know, everyone in the lead up to free agency was going, man, Shattenkirk's going to get way overpaid. You know, he's the he's the big fish in a small pond in terms of uh, the amount of talent out there available. But then. Four years, 26.6, so an average of $6.65 million a year. For what he offers, what he, he gives to a team, and the fact that he's 28, really in the prime, uh, maybe in, exiting his prime a little bit, depending on, on how you prescribe to those sort of age curves. But, um, I mean, that's that's more or less a steal, at least in the first couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, New York didn't buy any of his... You don't, like a player as good as Shattenkirk is, you still expect him to be a really solid contributor at 32. And, uh, so by having only a four year contract, I think there, there's no way they could really lose, um, with a player of his talent. He might be the best power play defenseman in the NHL. So that's a, that's a massive get right there. And, and then their right side is, it, you know, there, there just isn't much on that blue line, and, and certainly not a lot of uh, puck-moving ability. Uh, you mentioned Smith. I think both Smith and Shattenkirk are are going to help in that regard. Um, between those two and Ryan McDonough, they're going to have, well, and Brady Shea, who had a, had a really good rookie year, they're going to have a lot more mobility and, and offense from that group than they've had in years past. Uh, the other thing that I like that they did was the Andre Pavlik signing. Um, I, I know he's not a favorite of... Well, people like me, mostly analytics <laughs> guys, have never been big on on Pavlik, but but at one point three million as a backup goalie, I mean, he's he's a really solid bet in that role, and uh, and should be a good replacement for Antti Ranta. Yeah, the ironic thing about the Rangers, you know, getting Shattenkirk at at such a you know sort of re- reasonable rate, and just just something that you go. You know, the, the player wins because he wants to go there, and he's still obviously making really good money. The team wins because they can fit him under the cap and, and maneuver a couple other uh, pieces. Um, but if you look back on, on sort of Rangers history, when there wasn't a salary cap, they were the team that was handing out, you know, ridiculous contract after ridiculous contract. So, um, you know, it, it's funny now. I guess that's, that's, that's a while ago now, and everyone's kind of flushed out of the league um, who, who, who had their hand in, in that type of – um, you know, money, just dropping money bags on, on players' porches, so to speak. Um, but still, I, I, I just, I always associate them and the Leafs with just free spending and free agency, free spending at the deadline in, in the pre-salary cap era and just not, not really giving too much thought into, uh, you know, what the money actually means. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the, the side effects of the salary cap is, is we've seen these big markets having to be um, more sensible and more measured in, in the kind of contracts they hand out. I, I think uh, one of the things that doesn't get talked about a whole lot because who wants to talk about economics uh, when you're when you're yeah. a hockey fan? But but if if you were a team like the Rangers or like the Leafs that was just you know had the, was leading the league in payroll every year and was handing out these massive contracts, the fact you're now operating on a budget, those teams are you got to think they're kind of licenses to print money at this point. Absolutely. And speaking of, uh, you know, a guy who had a lot of leverage in free agency, uh, Alexander Radulov goes to Dallas and uh, Jim Nill and the Stars are one of my winners of free agency. I don't know how you view them, but I mean, them picking up Hansel, 
Radulov, uh, Mathot, which was uh, you know a bit a bit before free agency, um, buying out Niami. Like they've just made some some very solid moves in the last week or so that have vastly improved their team. I mean, when they add Radulov, I, I understand that that you know it's a bit of a risk because you know we just saw one year of his return. We don't know exactly if that was a mirage. I don't think it was, but. At the same time, this guy's not getting younger. He's in his 30s. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But in the short term, uh, you know, with Sagan, Ben, Spezza, Radulov, Hansel as your top five, quote-unquote, and then, you know, throw whatever winger there, De- Devin Shore, Garyanov, Faxo, whatever, that, that's a, as good of a top six as, as you're really going to see, um, at least a top ten, top six um, across the league. So I was impressed with, with what they did. Uh, what are your thoughts on Radulov going there? Yeah, I think Dallas, um, just just in an overview sort of way, has gotten so much better from last year. But I, I was really on the fence about whether to, to label them a big winner or to kind of hem and haw about, about the contracts. And Radulov was a big part of the reason why I was a little bit hesitant. Um, it's a five-year term. I, I think he's going to be you know a real asset in year one, obviously. But Radulov's a guy who... I think is a difficult guy to measure just by what he does on the ice because his history is so checkered. Um, if I was going to make a five-year commitment to a player, Radulov would be like a, a player of that skill level. Radulov would be pretty near the, the bottom of the list just because of, of the way things have gone in previous NHL stops. Obviously he's very talented, but you don't know what he's going to be at 35. Um, in, in the short term, though, he's certainly just just a huge uh, infusion of skill to a group that was already incredibly skilled between, you know, the guys you named, that, that trio of Ben, Spets and Sagan. And, and I really like the Handle edition as well. I, I thought, you know, to get, a, to get a center of that caliber in free agency on a three-year deal at under a $5 million cap hit, that was just, just tremendous work and um, really restocks them down the middle. Yeah, Radulov is is he'll be a, a story to watch next season because you know he comes back from the KHL and and everyone was you know sort of waiting to see what he was going to be able to do and then he puts up fifty four points in seventy six games and you know wasn't wasn't a liability on defense by any means uh, you know a lot of enthusiasm a lot of you know reports of of sort of good morale or or good sportsmanship uh, from from Montreal in terms of you know, how he was um, blending into the team, all that kind of intangible stuff. Um, and then, you know, he, he he's offered the, the most money uh, for, for any unrestricted free agent. So you you do kind of pause and, and, and go, is this going to come back to bite uh, Jim, Jim Nil down the line? But it's one of those things where, I mean, uh, Dallas, you know, they missed the playoffs last year. They have a good team on paper. And, you know, Sagan is not going to be young forever. Uh, you know, Spets is going to be on his way out eventually. Uh, Klingberg is, is going to hit his prime soon. Like, it's sort of one of those things where th- I'm not saying their window's closing by any means, but they've got to start, you know, pushing the, the needle forward and, and starting to plug in the right pieces to be a, a serious contender. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, I, I think Dallas is one of these weird teams where it, it's kind of hard to – you never know what you're going to get from them in the summer. Like this summer, they were very active. They they got about plugging holes right away. Um, whereas, you know, a year ago, I think everybody was kind of going, why are you letting so many defensemen leave? Yeah. Uh, and 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 they weren't being being aggressive, and they weren't trying to, to build on a team that, 
you know, could plausibly be a, a legitimate contender. And uh, I, I think a whole lot is going to depend on Ben Bishop. I think that's been their most aggressive gamble, and, and not just this year, but over the next half decade. Um, but uh, there, there's no question that they, they are really gunning for it now, and I think that's absolutely the right mindset. Okay, let's let's hear another winner from you. I'm gonna and and there's a caveat with this. Okay, and the caveat is that I don't know that they're going to be a very good team next year, but I still thought they did a tremendous job in free agency. Uh, was the Vancouver Canucks? Okay, I I they just they brought in they made a ton of really smart gambles, um, starting with Sam Gagne. Uh, continuing Michael Delzato, uh, Patrick Wierkoch, uh, Anders Nilsson. Like, they, they all just, they, they signed a bunch of guys to very reasonable dollar deals, and, and all of those guys could end up outperforming their contracts. Um, but the problem is that Vancouver still doesn't have, you know, like, you can make a case that Vancouver should be tanking right now. I don't think those upgrades in the margins are going to make the difference, particularly with the, the NHL's new lottery format where, you know, finishing dead last is nowhere near the advantage that it used to be. And and you do, I think, have to have some support in place for your young guys. And I think that these players they brought in are going to help that in a big way. But, um, you know, having said all that, these are modest improvements to a team that, that had some very real problems this year. So I, I think they're improved and I think they're a winner but I, in free agency, but I don't know that they're going to be, you know, vastly better next season. Well, and a lot of the talk after the draft, too, was that, that they had hit a couple home runs or, or maybe found a diamond in the rough uh, in the, in their drafting. Um, you know, that remains to be seen. And I'm, I don't pro- proclaim to know every prospect in the draft, but it seemed like they were getting a pretty good grade. Um, so looks like Jim Benning's having an all right offseason. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, he's not making these huge splashes, but um, I think they need to figure out exactly where they're going um, in which direction they want to take this this quote unquote rebuild, if you want to call it that, when you stole the Sedins. Um, and and before they do that, I don't think it's smart to to hang yourself on on a big contract. So they've avoided that. Uh, Gagne is a good pickup. That's a, that's a guy you mentioned. Um, and if I can just throw out a, another team that I don't think is going to be you know contending next year, or uh, I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't think they're 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 really there yet. Uh, but but made some shrewd moves was uh, was Carolina and uh, their GM Ron Ron Francis. I'd give them a, a winning grade as well. Um, I'm I'm cheating a little bit here in terms of the names because Darling uh, was picked up in late April. But he, here's some names that are coming into the organization: uh, Trevor Van's Reem, Van Reemsdyke, Marcus Kruger, Justin Williams, Scott Darling. So those are all coming in and out: Eddie Lack, Ryan Murphy. Uh, three picks. So I mean, they've improved and and they've done it with with pretty good contracts. Are, are any of those guys going to be cornerstones for your team? No, but they're all you know they they all fit their own sort of role. I think I think Williams will will probably see more ice than than he has in the past because he's on a team um, that could use his contributions more than maybe the L.A. Kings or uh, where he's played with. Um, in the past, he, he's just with Washington, like they were, they were a stacked team. So we'll, we'll see what, what, what Williams turns into, but he signed a, a very reasonable contract. Um, and I was impressed with, with Francis and, and what he's been able to do. Um, and the roster that they have constructed over the last couple of years, it's sort of slowly, slowly, but surely inching towards being, um, complete or, or a team that, that can start kind of, uh, hanging with the big boys because they have a lot of quality NHLers, a lot of guys with potential. Uh, you know the Jeff Skinners 
and uh, Sebastian Ajo's the and the Justin Falks that are fringe stars, or, or some people might think that they're stars, but they haven't really put it together. And and Darling, I think, is is probably the start of that. And then those other guys are great, uh, you know, surrounding pieces. Yeah, I, I love the Williams contract, and I thought um, I, I I think you hit the nail on the head with Darling. Um, the Carolina was a pro- quite a good team last year, I thought, but the, they had that Denver boot on them in terms of their goaltending. And if Darling can deliver anything close to um, in a starting role, what he did in a in a one B backup role in Chicago, they're they're going to be laughing. And and I think you know probably I, I I think you're right that you know they could make the playoffs, but not necessarily be a uh, a legitimate um, not not necessarily a cup contender at this point. Uh, the, the other two guys, and I, I know they're existing guys and, and weren't newcomers to Carolina, but the, the two young defensemen, Brett Pesci and, and Jacob Slavin, maybe the most underrated or the best unknown defensemen in the league, I think. I just, just tremendously gifted. They've got a, got a very good young blue line there. You add in Noah Hannafin. You bring in a guy like Van Riemsdyk. I, I'm a little curious, actually, if, if they don't at some point consider moving Justin Falk because they just have so much talent on that back end. Yeah, they they really do, and and they've been kind of collecting pieces. So you wonder if there's something uh, happening behind closed doors in terms of a deal down the road. Um, now, as we transition from winners to losers, I'd like to talk about the Patrick Marlowe uh, contract because I don't know. People are divided on this, and I'm even sort of divided on it. I'm not saying it's a huge home run, and I'm also not saying it was a poor decision by the Leafs to sign him to three years, 18.75. So that's an average of 6.25 million a year. Uh, let's first hear from you. What do you think of Marlowe going to the Leafs? Well, it's, it's funny because I, I have Toronto in my losers list, but I, they're kind of the mirror image of Vancouver where I think that the moves, they, they're going to be successful next year. And I think the moves they did are actually going to help them be successful next year. But I, I don't think they were the, the best use of, you know, their cap space or their resources. Um, Patrick Marlowe, is concerning to me in, in that we've seen his production decline significantly. Like he's, there's, there's no question about him tailing off. He's in the tailed off portion of his career now. Um, a, an elite, a top end point producing forward at five on five generally hits about two points an hour. Marlowe hasn't hit a point and a half in three years. That's basically third line production. And, and the fact that he's been doing a lot of that with, with Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski makes me think, you know, this is a guy who, outside of the power play, is is probably a, a line three left wing. Um, you know, maybe a line two left wing if he finds the, the right situation. He's not going to get better over the course of that three-year deal. He does help Toronto um, keep a, a three-line attack. He does bring in a lot of, you know, the intangible things. Like Mike Babcock obviously knows him really well and um, and values what he can bring to the team in in from that perspective, but it, it's just if if I've got six million dollars to play with to add a forward and on Toronto, I think you can do a lot more with that money than Patrick Marlowe. Yeah, well, it's a total Mike Babcock play uh, by all accounts, at least uh, from from reports and just from their their past together. And you just get the feeling that Babcock, you know, jumps into Lou Lamorello's office and goes, "Marlowe, we need that guy," and and he made it happen. Um, and you know what? Why I'm torn about this is because uh, I'm I'm per- I'm pretty high on the Leafs in terms of their potential and how good they were last year. I don't think they're that far away um, from being um, um, 
a contending team. And, and you add a guy like this who is very durable. Uh, he's turning 38 in the fall, which is, you know, normally concerning, but I don't think it is overly concerning with, with, with Marlowe. And I, I believe it's, uh, he, he's played in every regular season game since 2008, 2009, and he played 78 in, in that, in that season. So like this guy just doesn't miss games. So there's, there's sort of that, uh, that element to it, that, that kind of reassures the Leafs fans that, that he's not going to just fall apart. Um, he can still skate very well. And, you know, most people seem to be plugging him in next to Austin Matthews on the top line. And that, that seems like a match made in heaven uh, on a lot of levels. So it's, but then, but then you think, okay, so then in year two, you know, they, they don't have to pay Matthews or Marner yet because they're still on ELCs. Okay, that's fine. But then year three is when uh, the real trouble is going to happen because you can't buy him out. He has a full no move clause. So it's going to be a sticky situation unless they start moving other bodies like uh, James Van Riemsdyk has been uh, uh, batted around for really, it seems like a year now uh, on, the, on the rumor mill. And, and Tyler Bozak's probably not going to be re-signed after the, this coming season. So clearly they see Marlowe as a guy who's going to be there for the for the, those three years. It's just a matter of is he, is he a $6 million guy at this point in his career? Yeah, um, I I think you know the the no move clause is a little bit of a it's it's one of those things that's a little bit confusing just because of the structure of the deal. Um, I when I look at the way that Toronto put that contract together, it looks to me like they plan to have him for two years and then ship him off in the third year because if you trade him on July second in year three, he's got a uh, a six point two five million dollar cap hit, and because you've paid out a three million dollar bonus. He's got a $1.25 million actual salary. Oh, okay. And, and so when, when you think about it that way, I mean, like, it's obvious, right? You, you ship him out and, and you ship him to a team that isn't so much worried about cap space, but is operating on a budget. And, and they're thrilled to get Patrick Marlowe at a million and a half. But the, the caveat there is it's got to be, Patrick Marlowe's got to be willing to, uh, to make the move. And as we've seen in San Jose and in Toronto previously, um, San Jose specifically with Marlon and Thornton, but at Toronto with, with Matt Sundin, and I'm, I'm sure there's other examples I'm missing. Sometimes guys are not going to waive those, uh, those no move clauses. Yeah. And to be honest, like I, I'm when, when they do that, I, I kind of, you know, uh, stick my, stick my chest out and go good for them because I mean, realistically they worked into their contract. They can do what they want, but at the same time, like I get it from the team's perspective where it's like, you're killing me here. Like we, we, we <laughs> want to ship you out and just do us a favor. Like it's one of those things where, um, a lot of fans get upset about it, but I can see both sides. Yeah, I'm, I'm never going to blame the player for not waving. He, like you said, you know, he and the team went into this eyes open. The team gave him the option to have that say, and uh, if he exercises it, that's his right. And I, I, I don't see the point in getting mad about it, even though in a lot of cases it is it is damaging to the team. But but the teams bring it on themselves. All right, so give me give me a loser. Uh, who, who's at the top of your list for that? Uh, there's a there's a few different teams. Um, the one that comes to mind is the Tampa Bay Lightning, which it sounds weird for me to say because I'm I'm such an admirer of of what Steve Eiserman has done over the years. I, I thought that the Chris Kunitz deal was defensible to a point, but they, they're spending you know five million bucks between Chris Kunitz and Dan Girardi, and and this is a team that is famous for having. To play, you know, needing every dollar against the salary cap, um, 
they still haven't signed Tyler Johnson or Andre Palat. Both those guys are restricted free agents. And and to me, just just by bringing in Kunitz and bringing in Girardi, you're spending five million dollars on guys who are well past their prime, and uh, it just seems like a really bad use of money for a team that should be trying to get back to being a contender this season. It is really kind of puzzling. Uh, but I, at the same time, if you think about Eiserman's track record, I guess he deserves a mulligan or so, and a mulligan. <laughs> sorry, a mulligan, a mulligan or two. I can't speak. Um, and Girardi, I guess they could have given him more term, and, that, and that's the silver lining. He gets two years, but still, I mean, uh, I, I don't know why teams are, are salivating over a guy like him still in, in this day and age. I, I can understand earlier in his career, but as as he as his play deteriorates even more, it, it's it's odd. Um, to to even give more than one year, um, so yeah, I I think I think you're onto something with with the Lightning because uh, they didn't make a, a ton of moves, and the ones that they made, you know, you kind of go really, why did you really, what 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 do you see? Where's the value there, right? Yeah, it's, it, well, and and Girardi specifically, like a lot of times, guys coming off buyouts, no matter how well they played the previous year, no matter what kind of politics or. Or, or cap considerations are involved, they they end up having to sign, you know, show me contracts. Um, Benny Pouliot signed a really cheap one year deal in Buffalo. Scott Hartnell signed a really cheap one year deal in Nashville. And you know, Dan Girardi's getting three million three million a year for two seasons. I it it kind of makes you scratch your head as to why, you know, he's getting bought out and these other guys, um, and 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 yet he, he you know he's going to bounce right back into. Uh, a significant paycheck and history has generally not been kind to those guys. The, the last one I can think of is Steve or sorry, not Steve Eiserman, uh, Vin, Vinny LeCavalier, who was bought out right. by Tampa Bay, signed a big deal with Philadelphia and, and Philadelphia ended up regretting it. My, what, the top loser in my category is the Washington Capitals. Uh, I'm not really sure if they, if they plan correctly for the Vegas expansion draft for, for free agency. I, I don't know how they ended up in this situation where they lose Marcus Johansson, he just got traded to the Devils, I believe, yesterday. Um, and then Kevin Shattenkirk's obviously gone to, to free agency. They weren't going to bring him back. Um, they lost Justin Williams to free agency. So they lost those guys. And in the process, they they previously signed, you know, TJ O'Shea to this massive deal. Uh, Kuznetsov, who they're obviously going to re-sign. He was an RFA. He got paid, absolutely paid. And, you know, that's that's defensible. Um, but then Orlov also got paid uh, over six years. Brett Connolly, Berkovsky today, I uh, got two years. So a bridge deal there where they're maybe, you know, kind of flirting with, with danger in terms of uh, the type of numbers he might put up over those two years. And then all of a sudden he's he's just not even affordable whatsoever. Um, and, and, you know, the players that they that they lost are, are still in the Metro. Uh, Johansson's with the Devils, Shattenkirk with the Rangers, uh, Williams with, with the Hurricanes. So as much as those guys weren't going to come back, uh, except for maybe Johansson, uh, they might be seeing uh, a lot of them in the, in, in the next season here. It's just one of those situations that elite teams find themselves in. Uh, the Washington Capitals with Ovechkin, with Backstrom, with – you know, Braden Holtby, these guys are elite and they've had their time in in the limelight and they haven't produced uh, as a team, as a as an absolute juggernaut of a team. And there's consequences to that. And the GM has to handle, you know, the body's moving out and the body's moving in. 
you know, you got to count your beans and it's got to all work out and, and there's got to be some breaks that go your way. Uh, you see it with Chicago and what they've done with their uh, dynasty, if you want to call it that, and how they've been able to kind of retool on the go. Uh, the LA Kings to a lesser extent a while ago, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and maybe this is just an example of it, of it not exactly going the Capitals way. And, and the worst part about it is that they've never won a Stanley cup. So this could all kind of go downhill quickly. Um, and they have nothing to show for it. I mean, I'm not going to count them out, uh, completely, but they're, they're, they're probably worse off than they were, uh, when they stopped playing last season. Yeah, Washington was on my loser list as well. Um, I, I didn't like the Oshie deal. I thought the cap it was very reasonable. But, but when you're talking about that kind of term for a 30-year-old guy, uh, especially when you look at Washington's roster, it's not that old of a team. Um, up front, you know, Ovechkin's 31, Oshie's 30. That's that's your old edge. Um, and, and a guy like uh, Johansson, who they gave away for basically nothing, like a second and a third round pick for that guy, is virtually nothing. He's... Yeah, it's a total steal, and and to a division rival, no less, which, <laughs> I mean, just kind of boggles the mind. Um, to me, if you prioritize, maybe you give Burkowski a long-term deal, you keep Johansson, maybe you let Oshie go to free agency. I, I mean, you don't want to lose Oshie, but you've got a fairly young group of forwards, and, and I don't know that Oshie brings a whole lot that, that a guy like Johansson doesn't, even though, you know, there, there, there is obviously a bit of a disparity there. Um, and, and you do kind of wonder about the planning. I don't know that they. Ex- I, I really wonder if they expected to lose Philip Grubauer in in free agency rather than Nate Schmidt because their defense. Um, they really didn't have the ability to lose Schmidt. I, I that leaves their deep blue line a lot weaker, especially with John Carlson away from free agency and and in need of a a hefty new deal next year. I think you can make a case they should have bought out Brooks Orpic and and reallocated some of his money. You know, if you can't trade him on a retained salary deal or whatever, reallocated his money elsewhere. They just, it it seems like they made a few suboptimal decisions. There was no question the roster was going to be worse, but um, it's quite a bit worse than it had to be, it feels like. Yeah, it's quite odd with the expansion draft that, you know, they expose Schmidt, they expose Grubauer, and... It seems like I mean we're not we're not in the room with them, but it seems like they're taken aback that Grubauer isn't gone, and now they have to actually sign Grubauer, um, and they don't really have too much money left. So that's a situation to keep watching. Uh, who else is on, is on your loser list to to sort of wrap things up? Um, let's see. I well, I'm I'm gonna pick on. I I've, I'm torn here between picking on Detroit and Edmonton. I'm going to go with Edmonton just because post media we're 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 talking about Canadian teams. <laughs> sure. Yep. Uh, the, the the Oilers had a very good season last year. Uh, you know, obviously uh, came within a game of going to the Western Conference Finals. This is their last season with Connor McDavid on an entry level contract, and you know, with with all these advantages that they have and will only have for one more year. Peter Shirelli's taken a stay the course and even slightly downgraded the roster approach to the summer. Um, Ryan Strom's a very good player. Trading Jordan Everle for him makes them worse in the present. I don't think there's any question about that. It's not like they used the cap space for anything significant. They've gone on this signing binge of AHL guys. And it, it really feels like with so many guys signing for, for reasonable deals and, and one-year show-me contracts, that the Oilers could have been a little bit more aggressive and added one or two veteran pieces up front and on the blue line. Um, they, Andre Sacker is injured to start the year. They could have used a defenseman. 
just as a stopgap piece. They didn't get one, or they haven't got one yet anyway. And and they've got a lot of youth on the wings, especially with Everlake on. To me, signing a guy like you know an Alish Hemsky or or a, a Scott Hartnell or or any or Mike Camilleri, any of these guys um, would have really gone a long way towards giving them a little bit of a security blanket in case their their young players struggle. Yeah, the Oilers. Um, that they're a team that that I just haven't heard much about in this free agency period. They haven't. It's been all Connor McDavid, uh, Drysaitel talk. Um, now, I, you had a great tweet the other day, and I'm just going to read it verbatim here. And you started off with, remember, if you're a superstar, you are obliged to take less than you're worth so that your GM can overpay second-tier guys in free agency. Was that in relation to Dreisaitl, or am I getting uh, my wires mixed up here? <laughs> I, I don't think, think Dreisaitl is a superstar, honestly. Um, that was in relation to the backlash, both to uh, the Carey Price uh, contract in Montreal and the, the Connor McDavid, um, the reported, because we don't have official numbers yet, the reported Connor McDavid contract in Edmonton. I, I think there's always a, a lot of people who are pushing for these guys who are in the best player in the league conversation to take less than their worth to make it easier for the team to win. But the, the real problem with doing that is unless you know that money is going to be well spent, you might just end up padding you know, Milan Lucic's uh, salary or, or some other guy who's who's not really driving things forward for the team. So I I, I think I'm, I'm a big fan of players getting paid what they're worth. Um, superstars, like Connor McDavid does so much for the Oilers. You pay him whatever he wants, and then you, you figure out a way to win with him because you're still better off with him than you would be without. That makes sense. All right, I'm just going to run through some, some stats here that really bring out the uh... – uh, the the theme of, of really this free agency of, of how sort of tame GMs have been and how, uh, I guess, reserved they've been uh, compared to, to previous ones. So since July 1, and this is according to capfriendly.com, great website, everyone visit it. Um, and this is current, obviously, uh, as of tonight. Uh, so since July 1, only 17 RFAs or UFAs were signed for 4 million or more. So that's like, I mean, that's not a, that's a, that's a small pool, um, and I'm including you know Cam Fowler and Kuznetsov, these guys that were obviously going to get paid, um, and then another stat: since July one, only seven RFAs or UFAs were signed for five plus years. So that that one's probably a little more startling. Where you go, wow, like who was even who was even signed long term? And then you go through the names, and the only uh, UFAs were were Radulov and Alsner. So. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what caused this sort of uh, trend of, of, of GMs taking a step back and going, okay, we're not going to throw out, um, you know, all this money, all this term. Um, I don't know if it's just because the free agent class wasn't very good. Maybe that's it. But uh, here we are on uh, on July 4, and there's uh, there, there there's not much to pick apart in terms of awful, awful moves. Yeah, it's really funny because I – I, I wonder to what degree it's it's just driven by it being a weaker than usual free agent class, because I know the salary cap didn't go very much, but you have Vegas coming in and Vegas took quite a few players with with significant contracts off off of teams' hands. Um, there's 23 new jobs. It, it just seemed like a year where you were going to be able to do some creative things to add money if you wanted to, and that really hasn't been the case. Um, and it. I don't know if it's just that the usual spenders are in are in really rough shape, or if GMs just looked at the quality of the market and said, you know what, this is not a year where I want to be giving six years to somebody. 
Speaking of the the Vegas Golden Knights, let's let's talk about that new team, the 31st team in the NHL. Obviously, they will kick off their uh, tenure in the league in the fall. Expansion draft's done. Free agency is more or less done. Uh, they may add a body or two, and who knows who they're going to invite to training camp and sign out of there. But if we can just uh, talk about their roster, are there any guys on that roster that, that you're excited to see, that you're happy is with a team like Vegas? Maybe they can kind of strut their stuff a little bit more? Uh, there are a few players. Um, I think uh, on, the, on the blue line, Colin Miller and, and Nate Schmidt stand out to me. Both of those guys, like Schmidt was mostly in a third-pairing role, sometimes second-pairing Washington. Miller was mostly in a third-pair role in, in Boston. Both those guys had really good results and are going to have, they should certainly be in the top four, I would think, and um, particularly in Miller's case, because they're so weak on the right side, they might might even play beyond that. And, and um, I think it's just a really nice opportunity for a couple of guys who are in the early stages of their career to, to soak up some minutes and, and see if they can translate their success in a lesser role into a higher role. Yeah, on, on forward, I, I, so, I started putting together some, some mock lines, and where I really ran into trouble was at center and, and kind of the second and third line. Uh, presumably, their first line center is Vadim Shapanov. I'm, I'm probably saying his name wrong from the KHL, but they signed him before the expansion draft, and I believe they have big plans for him. Um, so he he's, he plugs in as their number one. But after that, I mean, is Cody Eakin your number two? Uh, do you try Jonathan Margisil at center? Uh, it sort of thins out there. They have some okay wingers. Uh I, I would not be surprised if Nick Suzuki, uh, one of their first-round picks, uh, makes a team. Uh, and he, he, he's a center. He, he models his game after uh, Patrice Bergeron. Obviously, uh, he's not at that, that stage of his career to, to compare himself to uh, Bergeron. But we'll see what happens down the middle. But, but as it is now, it's, it's, it's Cody Eakin maybe as your number two center. Yeah, they, they do have... You mentioned Marchesso. I'm I'm surprised that he's still with the team. To be honest with you, uh, like his cap hit, because there are so many teams that are in real trouble. We've talked about Washington. We we didn't really talk about Chicago, but they're they're another club. Mar- Marchesso had 30 goals last year, and he's got a 750 thousand dollar cap hit. He's a he's an unrestricted free agent a year from now. I think Vegas's plan with a lot of these guys is to hang on to them and then move them at the deadline where their values are high. But but because of Marchesso's contract, I kind of thought they might ship him out earlier in the summer and uh, and might be able to get more for him now than they would at the deadline where, where teams generally have a little bit more financial flexibility. At center, I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do. I think you can make a case that they should play uh, William Carlson in that line two role and then build a, a shutdown line around Eakin. I, I have some time for Eakin. He's coming off just a miserable year in Dallas, but he's he's a player I think um, will have value to them this year and, and will probably be part of the long-term core of that team, um, long-term here being two or three years. But but you're right. They they don't really have a lot of strength there. And, and you know, for the number of defensemen they took, I, I'm not wild about their blue line. I thought in a lot of cases they took expensive guys and um, they've, they've been able to ship some of them out, um, Mark Mathot, um, Alexei Amelin, but they haven't got a whole ton for them. And, and I really wonder if they would have been better served um, betting on some younger players in, in a few of those cases. Yeah, they still have nine 
defensemen on on one way so that they've got to move some bodies or bury them somewhere um and up front i wonder you know there was a report before we started recording about Ilya Kovalchuk uh, returning to the KHL for another year. He's going to forego coming to uh, the NHL until at least next season, uh, 2018-19. So that's out of the picture. I don't know how close Vegas was to landing him. I know that, that the Blue Jackets were up there. There was a handful of teams in, uh, trying to court him. But that's off the table. I was interested to see if that would uh, you know, turn into something um, and, and be maybe their, their key guy. Um, but he's off the table, and, and there's a bunch of free agents out there that that they may pick up. I would I would imagine they would pick up um, to just fill a hole here and there, so that they're a decent team, that they're not you know drowning every night out there. Uh, maybe a Vanek and a Ginla, Jokinen, Parento. Are there any guys that that you see on the free agent market still uh, that that you think would would add some value to this team? Uh it's it's kind of hard to say. I, I think the problem that Vegas has in shopping for free agents is unless they give them some term, those free agents are basically going there knowing that they're going to be trade deadline, trade bait. Um, a guy like P.A. Parento is kind of a no-brainer to me because you can probably get him for you know a six-figure contract and he can play a, a middle six-wing role for you and they don't have so many guys that they, they couldn't use that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a Cody Franz and maybe, maybe they get really aggressive and overpay for an Andre Markov, but obviously Markov's going to drive those decisions himself, whether or not he's interested in that kind of deal. Uh, I, I just think, you know, like Vegas is, is going to have to, they're not going to be able to be as, as aggressive as other teams were in, in dealing with free agents. And, and, and I don't know that there's somebody out there who's really going to, um, drive things forward for them well and they announced today that they sign oscar Lindbergh. uh you imagine riley smith isn't going anywhere david perron probably not they have some okay wingers uh james neal we'll see what happens there i, I my prediction uh you know that he'll be gone to the deadline uh and and then you just wonder how they're how they're going to fill these roles uh they obviously have some dead contracts uh with david clarkson mikhail grabowski they have some interesting fringe players like Brennan Leipzig, Alex Touch. Uh, what do you think of this team, though? I mean, like, going into the expansion draft, you obviously had an opinion or or you had a view of, of what they might be. Now that the dust has kind of settled on, on the, dra- the two drafts uh, and then free agency to an extent, uh, has, you, has your view changed or is it pretty much the same? It's pretty similar to what I expected. If anything, they're a little bit better team than I thought they would be. I, I really felt that, um, well, they, they are the best. They should be the best expansion team in NHL history. Like, they, they really should be, just based on uh, the, the expansion rules and the players they had access to that other teams have not in the past. Um, well, excuse me. The, the thing about them is I, I thought they were, you, you can be a, a decent team coming out of expansion, but you don't have the ingredients to be a, a really good or a great team. So I thought they would pretty much tear it to the ground right off the hop. What they've done instead is is leaned on a whole bunch of guys like James Neal who have one year left on their contracts or in a few cases two years left and who really will be trade deadline fodder. And I think what they will do is they'll they'll be reasonably competitive next season, you know, like maybe 11th in the West sort of competitive where they're not totally out of the playoff picture. And then the deadline they'll move a bunch of these guys and hopefully bring in 
young guys, like if you trade out a James Neal, maybe you bring in a young guy who can be a James Neal in, in three years for you, and, and maybe you can get that prospect at the deadline. Well, and they have decent goaltending too, right? They have they have two NHL yeah. goalies in, in Mark Andre Fleury and Calvin Picard. So I think you know night in and night out. I, I don't think they're going to get slaughtered by any means, but I don't know. Maybe I had too high of expectations of, of this roster. It's it's you know they picked a ton of defensemen that kind of confused me. But I'm going okay. I'll give George McPhee uh, the benefit of the doubt. He's probably going to move these guys. He probably has you know uh, intel on 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 their market value and. It hasn't materialized into anything uh, too exciting. I mean, they do have a lot of draft picks in 2019, 2020, but other than that, it's it's been kind of odd seeing seeing them operate. Uh, you know, even the Marcus Kruger uh, trade, uh, they basically uh, gave him away uh, for a, f- a fifth rounder. So, yeah, yeah, and, and there's been a lot of deals like that. Like uh, when they took when they they took Alexei Amelin from Montreal, I, I really felt that Brandon Davidson was a guy who made more sense for them. And uh, so the, the the caveat there was I thought, you know, well, maybe they've got, maybe they know that they can get something really significant for Emelin, and it turned out that they couldn't. They had to retain some salary, and even then they only got a third-round pick back in exchange. And, uh, at, you know, a guy like Lucas Spiza is the same sort of situation where you're, you're kind of wondering what they're thinking there. So I, it was unrealistic to expect them to do, you know, to hit every home run that was out there available yeah. to them. And and obviously there were a lot of conversations behind closed doors that we aren't privy to. But um, I, I thought they did a decent job of putting the team together. But it wasn't a it, like if I was giving it a letter grade, it would be a probably a C rather than a an A plus or even a even a B. Okay, hard marker. <laughs> <laughs> Giving out C's. Well, you know, you know what it is. It probably is just unrealistic expectation because it, the first the first expansion draft of the salary cap era, it felt like the sky was the limit, and yeah. it was kind of it kind of ended up being fairly mundane, with with the exception that they they robbed Florida blind. Well, and they seem to also, again, like I mentioned earlier, I'm no I'm no draft expert, but I mean they had three first rounders, three in the top fifteen. I know it was a weak draft, but. Those three guys, you never know. Down the road, if, if if they develop properly, like that's that's that draft class, we may look back on it and go, man, they they hit that. Yeah, and, and those are probably uh, you can make a case; those are the most significant pieces that uh, that Vegas added this off season, because those are those are guys who are going to be around for the long haul. Um, and I'm 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 kind of with you where I I know a little bit about all these guys, but I'm not an expert on any of them. Nick Suzuki is a player I really liked. I got to see him um, live at the the, uh, the under 17s two years ago, and 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 to me at that point he was quite a bit lower rated, and I thought he was just a, just a steal, just a tremendous two way talent on a, on a very deep Canadian roster, and and I'm excited to see what he can do for the Golden Knights. Yeah, very smart player, and his his uh, his coach in Owen Sound, Ryan McGill, got hired by the Knights. So you think, okay, well he probably has a better chance than he did. Uh, before that in terms of making the team um before i let you go one last topic nail yakupov has signed a contract with the colorado avalanche eight hundred seventy-five thousand one year you focus on the oilers for for a lot of your work what are your thoughts on on mr nail getting another chance well i if you're in colorado shoes i don't think you have anything to lose like the abs that were just, they were so bad last year. There's obviously opportunities for, for somebody who can score in their lineup. So to, to take a chance on a player with Yakupov's 
um, skill skill level is 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 a no brainer, especially at that that price point. Like if it doesn't work out, there's there's no negative consequences. Basically, um, there's there's a reason he was available for that kind of contract. He has been a bit of a defensive nightmare over his career. Um, I, I think he's been hamstrung a little bit by things that are outside of his control. He's he's played for a revolving door of coaches, which you know is not a fault of his making. Um, and and even in situations where he's had success, those situations haven't been maintained. Like he he was really good his first season. He had some things working for him that that didn't work afterwards. But but he's 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 done really well when he plays with with right shot centers, particularly on the power play. Um, and Derek Roy in, in Edmonton was a really good fit for him. Sam Gagne was not such a great fit, but was still better than, than some of the other other players with with more skill that he's played with, who who aren't right shot guys. So I'm I'm really curious. I hope Colorado puts him in a position to succeed. Uh, Yakupov is just a really genuine, really likable guy, and I, I think the NHL is better off if if he if he's able to put things together. So I, I'm a, I'm hopeful that Colorado is a good situation for him. I'm not holding my breath, but uh, I think it'd be a nice story if he could turn things around. Yeah, a lot of people mock the move, and to be fair, it's it's at a point with the Avs and with Yakupov where they're they're pretty mockable um objectively really um but i think it's perfect in terms of you know he's going to probably the worst team in the league uh well at least at least last year i mean colorado obviously underachieved but one of the worst teams in the league he's going to get ice time uh so so there's his fresh start there's his sort of arms wide open hey show show off your stuff let's see what you're made of and for the team's perspective it's basically no money it's one year and, you know, he got picked first overall, what is it, five, six, five or six years ago now. And he was picked first overall for a reason. Like, there's something there. I don't know if it'll ever materialize at the NHL level, but when you're so highly touted, I think you, you, you get more chances than the next guy. And this is probably Yakupov's last chance in the NHL. And I, I hope personally, as, as a guy who likes watching, uh, you know, guys kind of, come from behind and, and win the race. I, I, I'm hoping he, he finds some, some level of success uh, in Denver. Yeah. And, and one of the, like Colorado, I'm not, while I think they, we, we've got it. We have yet to see what's actually going to happen in a lot of cases in Colorado. Like there are some moves left to be made. That blue line is obviously not complete, but they've done kind of a, a low key, a, a decent low key job of just adding, quality pieces up front. Um, Yakupov's a really good gamble. I, I like the Colin Wilson ad quite a lot. They didn't really pay anything to get him. Um, obviously, we have to wait and see what happens with Matt Duchesne, but Colorado does have the ingredients to ice two or three good lines next year if, if things come together. I, I think the real question is just whether or not they're going to have the the um, the blue line to do it and whether guys like, you know, like Carl Soderberg was a good player for several years in Boston, just a disaster last year. Um, a lot of players had had career worst years. There, there is some room there for for just internal improvement. And um, last year was just so bad on so many levels. You got to think that 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 team as a whole is going to bounce back a little bit, even if they even if they still aren't very good. Yeah, there's really nowhere to go but up, right? Yeah, that that's 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 the, that's the brief way of saying <laughs> yes. The cool nowhere place. to go but up. All right, Jonathan. I, I really appreciate you coming on. It was uh, it was a pleasure having you. How how can people find your work? Because uh, we want people clicking on your stories. 
Uh, the best thing to do is just follow me on Twitter. I am at Jonathan Willis, and all my uh, stuff for various outlets shows up there. Awesome. Thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure.